welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome to Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, a little something different. As you all know, right now, we are all suffering through the entire COVID crisis around the world. And as such, economies around the world and governments around the world have been impacted. And the governments have come together, depending on what country you're in, to put up together economic relief packages. Canada is no different, and there's been a pretty extensive one put in place. And this is an episode that is uh, dedicated to helping you understand at least the top line of what all these programs are. Now, instead of listening to me talk the entire time, I decided to invite a colleague of mine and friend, Guy Anderson, onto the show to help guide us through the conversation. Guy, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here, Jason. Thanks. So let's get started because there's a lot to cover. And actually, before we do that, one second, just tell everybody who it is you are and what it is you do, and then we'll jump in. Yeah, great. As you mentioned, we've known each other a long time, part of the FPAC group that you that you founded. I'm also a fully licensed investment and financial planner, investment advisor and financial planner with Align Capital. I operate primarily out of Toronto, Canada, but licensed across the country. And I guess I do pretty much exactly what you do, the full financial planning and investment advice. Yep. Excellent. So well, let's get started on uh, on what the government has done to help everybody in this very trying time. So we'll start off with businesses and the first category is avoiding layoffs and hiring. Uh, re- and the first category of benefits has to do with avoiding layoffs and rehiring employees. So what, uh, let's, let's get started, Guy. I'll let you take the reins. Right. Okay. So as you mentioned, there are three categories that the government uh, has implemented in their economic response plan. And In the business category, the first one is the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy, which will cover a portion of the employer's cost. Can you explain that a little bit deeper? Yeah, so this is the big one. This is... This is one where they will cover up to 75% of wages for up to 12 weeks, up to a threshold of around $58,000. They may even cover more than that, but there's, there's been a lot of kind of back and forth and change in this program. It's kind of everything's, everything's evolving day by day. But essentially, it's the maximum benefit of the lesser of 847 per week per employee or 75% of their pre-crisis remuneration. And the way you qualify for this is that it's a month-by-month benefit. So between March 15th and April 11th, if you saw a reduction in revenue of 15% as compared to the average of January or February or March of the previous year, then you qualify. After that, for the next two months, it's a 30% drop. So... I don't know how you feel about this one, Guy. I, I'm glad they improved it, but I feel like they really dropped the ball on some of this stuff. Yeah, they, they've tweaked this one a, a few times, have they not? And uh, it is probably one of the more confusing ones to understand. But at, at the end of the day, I, I see what they're trying to do here. They're, you know, they've chosen the 58000 because that's the yearly maximum pension, uh, pension amount. So 847 is, is the, weekly, the weekly amount. So they're really just doing 75% of the, uh, the YMPE. And then the, yeah, the amounts that they're covering, uh, the 15%, that seems fair because the, for the period that they're talking about, you know, most businesses probably didn't see that drop off right away. So 15% seems fair, although it's probably a little bit arbitrary. And then 30% in April and May, that's probably when most employers are going to see the biggest drop. But I do think that they could have done it better. I'm just not sure myself how I would have done it. Yeah, I think in, here's the issue, right? And this was, it's already been changed once simply because a lot of companies, if you're in a company in rapid growth phase, 
to the previous year, which was the original comparison. Like if you're in rapid growth, like 15% versus the previous year, maybe you doubled your business in, in, in a year, right? That's That leaves you out in the cold. And this entire, okay, so they've adjusted it downward to 15% for the first period, but, but now it's a 30% drop for the second period. What if you're 29? What if you're 27, right? Like this is, there's companies out there that need real help that could be left out in the cold by this. And that's the challenge. And I think that they're very concerned about not giving money to companies who don't deserve it. And I, I kind of get it. But at the same time, given the situation we're in right now, my belief was give it to everybody and claw it back if profits actually increase or something, or some other metric. But right now, worry about keeping people in jobs. Now, you raise a good point there. That, that might be a better approach doing the clawback. And that's what I was getting at when I was saying that I don't know how I would have done it better because the, the numbers of 15 and 30% uh, reduction in, in income, just it does seem a little arbitrary. Um, they had to draw a line somewhere, but I mean, the problem is, is that how many companies suffer because of it? But let's, let's move on from there. Let's move on to the next program. Sure. So the next one, the extending the workshare program. Yeah. So this is a program that already existed, whereby if you don't have enough work to go around for all the employees you have, you could basically have multiple employees share one or three people share two jobs by reducing their hours and there would be a benefit to, to keeping them employed. So that was a maximum of that of 36 weeks. It's been extended to 70, 76. And you know, part of that's just in light of the fact that what if you were already in week 37, like suddenly that wasn't going to be an option for you. And then in addition to that, it's going to take a while to ramp up uh, production after this is all over. So this was, I think this one was relatively well thought out. So I'm okay with that. Yeah, again, I, I don't have any big complaints about this one. I think, I think the government actually, actually responded fairly well across most mandates here. And to be honest, I'm not sure what the pickup on this was in the general before the COVID calamity. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. We don't have stats on that, but I mean, it's yeah. you know, at least it's it's uh, it, it was that was a well thought out extension. I would say that much. It was, it was yeah, good. no, I agree with this one for sure. Right, and it keeps people employed even though they're not fully employed, and, and keeps them employed longer. I agree. Exactly. Exactly. On to the temporary changes to Canada summer jobs program. Uh, oh, this one, yeah. this one's pretty interesting, eh? I like this one. This is going to pay anyone who hires a student under the Canada summer jobs program will basically receive 100% of the minimum wage in the province they're in covered. So I got to tell you, I am very much looking forward to hiring an army of students. I joke because I don't know how many students I can hire in this program, but it's uh, for lack of a better term, it is free labor or at least highly subsidized labor. So I, I encourage anyone who has worked for students to take a really good look at that. I don't know if all the details are worked out on this one either, but it does say that you get 100% of the um, provincial or territorial minimum wage for each employee. So if you do hire an army, it sounds very much like you, you would get covered for each one you do hire. Yeah, I think they haven't had it tested where someone tries to hire, replace their entire staff with it, but we, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, so there's the risk of that, right? Yep. Okay. Moving on. So reduced and deferred payments, I guess that refers to income taxes and sales remittances, et cetera. Yeah, basically. So they've extended the tax filing deadline and the tax payment deadline. So basically, the bottom line on this is that if you owe tax to the government corporately, you're going to be able to defer that until August 31st, because at this point, we all know people need to hold on to cash as long as possible to keep their businesses going. And, and then the same with the sales. Similar, yeah, sales tax is a little bit different. HST is a little bit different. So uh, you're able to defer until June 30th in that regard. And access to credit. So a lot of companies um, may need some money just to keep afloat. Can you speak to the Canada Emergency Business Account or the establishing of the line of credit? Yeah, so there's two. The Business Credit Availability Program uh, is one where they've basically provided $40 billion for, for distribution through uh, Business Development Canada, Export Development Canada, and I think Farm Development Canada as well. 
And the way this is done is you apply through those intermediaries, you get underwritten. If it's a less than $100,000, it's a faster application, typically off their website. Anything more, it's a, it's a full underwrite. They are really bad by right now. I can tell you that people applied three weeks ago and have yet to hear back other than just wait, we're working on it. And really the terms of this loan are pretty straightforward. It's, I believe, a 3.3% interest rate with interest only for the first year and then interest plus principal for the next two years. So I've told many businesses that, you know what, especially given the backlog, if you think you might need it, just apply as soon as possible. And uh, worst case scenario, I mean, personally, my business doesn't need it right now, thank God, but I would rather have 100,000 extra sitting in the bank account at a time like this and uh, paying 3.3 interest than not. So I'll take advantage of that one. And then the uh, Canada Emergency Business Account. Tell us uh, yeah. about it. Canada Emergency Business Account. This is interesting. I just applied for it this morning. So you can apply for this through your normal bank, typically online. It is a line of credit of $40,000 for basically a interest-free line of credit. And this one's very interesting because it's interest-free for the first year. And then after that, you basically have to start paying interest on first the accrued amount and then any money going forward. After the first year, what happens is, is that it turns into a five-year loan at, at 5%. The one interesting catch to this is that if you only borrow 10000 or borrow the entire amount and pay back at least 30000 they will forgive $10,000 on this. So if you qualify, you might want to take this because it's potentially $10,000 of subsidy for you for free. Now, to qualify for it, you do have to have a business that has a T4 income and yet to have a payroll between 50,000 50, to a to million dollars. Unfortunately, I know that's left out some, some people who have lower income. And one of the things that was kind of unfortunate about many of these programs is if you're an entrepreneur who's taking dividends instead of income, yeah, you fail the test for a lot of these programs, including the wage subsidy. So yeah, some of these things need to be better thought out, quite honestly. But that is- I was just going to raise that. Like, yeah, there's a lot of business owners that I've worked with in the past that have chosen just to pay themselves dividends for whatever reason. And because they're not getting T4 income, they won't qualify for this. So that's, that's a part of this, I think, that wasn't talked through very clearly either. Um, and I'll, I'll say this much. Um, for those of you who want to know what's the better option, there was an episode I did previously with Kim Moody, where we went out over the basics Canadian taxation and talked about income versus dividends specifically, and the misconception that it pay, ends up paying less tax with dividends. It's not the case. So um, choose wisely. And this is unfortunately one of those cases where if you chose a certain way, it's, uh, it's not working in your favor. So moving on, let's get to the next level. So next one I have on the list is launching an insured mortgage purchase program. I see it's up to $150 billion. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So basically, Canada, they were concerned about this causing a 2008-like crisis in the housing sector in Canada, especially given our massively inflated prices and the fact that uh, CMHC insurance basically covers 100% of the downside. So they put together this mortgage program to buy some of the riskier mortgages that was on the CMHC's books. That's $150 billion. So there will be no housing liquidity crisis because of this, hopefully. And that's what that was intended for. Right. So other than the fact that, you know, we've got a million people unemployed and the housing industry will likely see a slowdown just based on fewer people being able to afford properties, but it doesn't look like there's going to be a liquidity issue otherwise. Yeah, exactly. They stop, right? They've done what they can to prevent, if you think of it as a series of dominoes, right? Like you think about people's income, their ability to pay their mortgage, the insured level of the mortgage versus not, and then the amount of foreclosures that would happen in order to push the prices lower. And then there's the domino effect that happens has on valuations and then debt. They did what they can, could to stop the dominoes from falling early on to prevent them from falling later. Fair enough. And the Bank of Canada, moving on to the next one, the Bank of Canada has actually taken on quite a bit of uh, activity here too, just to... Uh, create some liquidity in the market too. Can you speak to some of the things that the Bank of Canada has done? 
Yeah, so the big one everybody knows about is they've dropped interest rates to, to about 25 basis points right now. The U.S. has actually done said between 25 basis points and zero, and we will peg them there as long as we need to. So that's the first thing is making money cheap to reduce everybody's burden on debt. And the second piece is they're providing liquidity support for financial institutions, meaning that if there's short-term shortfalls of cash, they will pump money into the market in order to make sure that there's there's solvency in efficient markets, which was one of the problems we saw in, in 2008 where we you know, liquidity dried up. So yeah, so that's, those are the actions to date. There could be more. One thing, unfortunately, to mention to people is that despite the fact that interest rates have come down to this level, do not expect to be paying your bank 25 basis points on a mortgage. In fact, if anything, uh, the banks have not fully passed along all of the interest rate cuts. They passed along a lot of it, and I'll give them credit for that, but they haven't passed along all of it. And in fact, after one cut, rates actually on the five-year went higher, believe it or not. So another reason to love your bank. <laughs> Yeah, how do you feel about that? Because when I was pricing these things out months ago, some of the mortgages were offered at prime minus. And now, even if they're priced at prime or whatever, it might be prime plus now. So even though rates have come down, the rates that clients are actually able to get are relatively the same or maybe even more expensive than they were. Well, I, got, I got one better for you. I, my mortgage that I took out almost, I took out over uh, almost four years ago now. I'm paying a rate that is almost the same as the current five-year. So and rates are substantially lower now than they were when you took it out, right? They are, yeah. So, I mean, it's there's two parts to this, right? There's the posted rate, which is the base number, and then there's what kind of discount they're going to give you off of that. They're less uh, likely to pass on the discounts right now. And I guess, you know, right? in fairness, it's a solvency issue for them, right? They want to make sure that they're going to survive this as much as anyone else. And unfortunately, if you're renewing right now, that's not the greatest deal for you. Uh, that being said, you know, I do believe that once we get out of this, there will be a period where the rates will still be low enough for people to take advantage of it. So it is what it is. We just have to wait to weather the storm right now. Fair. Now, speaking of banks, though, like the uh, office of the superintendent of financial institutions, they also uh, reduced the um, capital ratios or lowered the domestic stability buffer by a point and a quarter, right? Can you speak yeah. to what that is? So that's a bit of an intricate issue. So basically what it comes down to is that all financial institutions have to keep a certain amount of cash reserve and a certain amount of assets. They're given a certain amount of risk that they're able to take based on total assets. What they've done here is they've allowed them to loosen up on these restrictions, which has allowed, which then frees up the banks to to increase their lendable capital by 300 billion. So what they've done is made it easier for banks to lend up to $300 billion more to business. Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's pretty amazing as well. Did you want to move on to industry now? Because there are some implications to specific industries. Do you want to talk about well, that now? Let's talk about self-employed first, and then we'll move on to industry. Okay, so for self-employed individuals, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, the CERB, this is a big one as well. Can you speak to that one about yeah. how it would apply to most self-employed people, I guess? The gig yeah. economy does well, I mean, here's the thing. So this was meant to help Canadians, period, right? And it was meant specifically to help people who were who were going to be mass filing for EI. So instead of the EI benefit, what you'll receive is a $2,000 per month benefit for up to four months. This one everybody knows about. But one of the things that was everybody was, was frightened of is with the change in employment dynamics in the last 10, 15 years, a lot more people are self-employed practitioners. They're not necessarily incorporated. They don't necessarily pay EI. So they wouldn't have EI benefits, wouldn't be covered by it. So they would fall through the cracks unless something was done. So the CERB basically is all-encompassing. And bottom line is if you can't work because of COVID, and they've kind of defined that out, and you are a gig economy worker, like an Uber driver or whatever it is, then you will qualify for this. And applications for this started the week of the 
6th, and you can apply for this My Account Portal with CRA. It is very, very simple from what I've seen thus far. This is the one that they spread out over the course of a week, where if, if your birthday was in the first three months of the year, is that the one? Yeah. So basically what happened was in the first week, and to prevent the entire system from crashing from every out-of-work Canadian logging in simultaneously, they basically spread out the application period so that it was, um, it was a quarter of the year for the first four days. And then as of the 10th, as of Easter, you will be able to log in at any time, regardless of birthday, to apply for it. And similarly for the self-employed, they've also introduced some deferral of tax remittances and more time to pay your taxes. Can you expand on those two? Yeah, same basic rules. I mean, HST is going to be pushed back to June. And essentially, you can you can hold off on paying your income tax. Again, right now, making sure everybody has enough cash in the bank to pay their rent and their food is more important. So in line with the businesses, there are sp- some specific benefits that the government is introducing for specific industries that are particularly hard hit. I see some for agriculture, for airports, and, and for broadcasters. Can you speak to these, uh, Jason? Yeah. So the first one, agriculture, fisheries, and aquaculture, these are labor-intensive industries, and, and many of them also rely on migrant work in many cases. These are with closed borders and with people not being able to work because they're staying at home in isolation. These are not businesses that you can, we can work remotely. And because of that, they're going to take a disproportionate hit to their bottom line, but they're also vitally important to the food security of the country. So $5 billion has been, has been put together for additional lending to these industries, and they'll uh, hopefully be able to, to uh, recoup from it. Airports, it's no surprise that airports are getting just beat right now, given the fact that they have the front line of this and no one's flying anywhere right now. So essentially, uh, they are waiving the leases that the airports pay to the government right now and therefore allowing them to essentially be rent free for a while in order to shore them up. And the last one is broadcasters. And at first, I kind of shrugged my shoulders about this one, but it makes perfect sense. When companies start cutting back, one of the first things that goes is advertising. It's great. You know, it drives in business, but it's not core to just turning the lights on. So because of that, I have no doubt that there's been a cutback in advertising dollars spent in the last couple of weeks. So what's happened is the CRTC is basically requesting, it's not going to request licensing fee payments for the next little while for 20 to 20 to 2021 in order to allow some shoring up of cash. Now, I personally do not know how much that is, but it's something to help. It's hard to imagine, you know, other than like airports and agriculture, any other industries like being worse hit. So it's it's pretty oh, impressive. I've, seen, I've got clients and some interesting ones. I got one in food distribution. I got, I'll tell you the other ones, job placement. Anyone's in a recruiting or headhunting capacity right oh, now? Yeah, that would have evaporated, eh? Zero work. And even, but even even basic paramedical services, a chiropractor can't work right now unless it's absolutely medically necessary. And the uh, film industry has been decimated. There's well, absolutely nothing going on, right? Well, I, I quietly know about a, a couple of soon-to-be bankruptcies based on that, unfortunately. I, I, it's interesting, too, because that industry has already been the benefactor of tons of government funding because of the effects that the multiplication effects, right? Like you, you decide to fund one movie and you know, the, the crews, the carpentry, the catering, everything in the area just benefits from it. So it's, it's got a real multiplier effect, but yeah, I think, I think there might be some pushback towards throwing more money in an industry that's already getting so much money in the first place. Well, it, it does employ a lot of people and it generates a lot of, a lot of GDP. Yeah, it's not so much the people that I think will be in trouble. It's there's some some suppliers and some some uh, service providers out there that are smaller production, post production, whatever it might be that that basically are just not as capital ready for something like this. And I think that's going mm-hmm. to. Okay, so the government's also introduced a bunch of um, plans, uh, support for individuals and families. And the first one that comes to mind is the, uh, the increase to the Canada Child Benefit. That's pretty impressive, and and it's pretty easy to to take part in this, isn't it? 
Yeah. I mean, if you have kids, you're probably already taking part of it in the first place. So they're providing an extra $300 per child for the current year. And this will mean approximately $550 more for the average family. Now, there's an archaic formula as to how this works that I don't even fully understand, but is there's a calculator online somewhere. In fact, if you want to look at what you qualify for amongst various benefits, a friend and colleague, Preet Banerjee, on his website has put together a calculator to help you figure that out. But the Canada Child Benefit, the amount you get depends on a couple of things. Depends on household income in the previous year, and it also depends on your number of children. So the more you make, the less you get. The more kids you have, the more you get. But there's an entire formula behind that. But yeah, that, that's going to help a lot of people. Right. And individuals are also getting a break on the goods and services tax as well, right? Yeah. So if you qualify for GST, uh, you're, for the rebate, your rebate, the rebate's gone up. So it'll be an average additional benefit of 400 for an individual and 600 for a couple. So one of the things, just because, here's a pro tip for you, just because you do not qualify for, or you're allowed to pay your taxes later, doesn't mean you should file them later. I would say file them now. First off, your accounts will thank you because they could probably use the work right now because a bunch of people think they don't have to file right now. But if you qualify for the GST credit, or if you're going to start qualifying for Canada Child Benefit, or if you're expecting a refund, that's all money waiting for you. And you have nothing to lose by filing on filing early, because especially because you don't have to pay until August. So I would suggest everybody get on that as soon as possible. Yeah, that's actually a good point, because a lot of this, especially on the individual side, is tied to whether you filed your taxes. So if you haven't filed even last year, you may not qualify for these things, right? Well, you, you do qualify, but you won't be getting them, right? So You won't be getting them, pardon me, yeah. Point is they put in, you know, they put in a provision for extra time to file your income tax returns. I actually wish that they hadn't done this. I actually wish that they had still said instead of August 31st, which is the new deadline, June 1st, which is the new deadline. I really wish they had pushed it back a week or two at most because frankly, like you can basically, you get the, the, the amount owing is not owing till August, but there's a lot of data that has to be processed for some of these benefits. So everybody should hopefully file as soon as possible. I know I'm waiting on a refund, so. <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's just good advice. Um, hopefully most people don't, don't extend any longer than they have to. I guess, I guess some people who still rely on physically meeting with their tax preparer, though, the fact that they can't take their shoebox to their accountant and, and get their taxes prepared. I think that's the main benefit that this would. Well, if you're a teacher, there's a very simple option for that. It's called, it's called simple tax and it's free. So there's no excuse. <laughs> Bottom line is if you got access to a computer, you can file all your taxes very quickly. Fair enough. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So we've spoken an extra time. Now mortgage support. Now this is, this is one that's getting a lot of, a lot of interest because the, um, well, we just talked about the mortgage support that the government's introduced. Yeah. This is one of the bigger provisions and I think it's actually a smarter one. They've cut a deal with the banks. The banks are going to allow deferral of up to six months on people's mortgages. Now, this is a quote unquote case by case basis. And I have seen a lot of chatter online about very inconsistent feedback. I've seen people with very high incomes qualify for this. I've seen people with moderate incomes qualify mm-hmm. for this or not qualify for this because they were told to clean out their RESP first. So I don't know that everybody knows exactly what the rules are here. I don't know if the banks aren't coming up with different rules themselves or if they're not changing on a regular basis. But here's what it comes down to you have the option to defer if approved, your mortgage payments up to six months. And the benefit to that, of course, simply being that your cash flow needs are reduced for that six month period, thereby reducing the amount the government needs to support you right now. However, you do two things to be aware of. One, it's not a break because that interest is still accruing. So it's just gonna get tacked on to the end. 
So you're not actually saving any money. You're just, you're just basically pushing off the payment. The other piece is that there's still some question as to whether or not this is going to really hurt your credit rating or not. And even if they say, no, we don't want that to happen, a lot of this reporting that happens to credit agencies happens automatically. So there may not be a way to stop it anytime soon. So basically do your homework, get it in writing. If you can get confirmation, that's not going to hurt your credit rating. But do your homework, make the application if you feel you need to, but it's there if you need it. So that one's massive, right? The credit issue, I mean, just taking advantage of the, the six-month deferral could help with the your current cash flow issues. But yeah, if it's going to affect your credit rating, I mean, invariably your ability to access cheaper credit going forward for the next seven years would be affected. So I mean, that's, that's a big question mark that's overhanging this. I, I agree with you. Yeah, um, I have a hard time believing that that, even if it did happen initially, wouldn't be given a carte blanche later. I mean, just, you know, the political risk to not fixing that is, is enormous. So hopefully they get around to actually uh, making sure that there's a public announcement that, no, 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 this is a one-off exception and that's the end of it. So we'll see. Yeah, I'd imagine that there'd be some sort of mandate come down to the rating agencies that they'd have to clean that up and, and expunge it from people's records or whatever, but I agree. Awesome. Yeah. And the government's actually provided some uh, support to Indigenous peoples as well, starting with the Indigenous Community Support Fund of $305 million. Yeah, I mean, these communities already face a lot of economic challenges. So another $305 million has been, been basically uh, put out to help uh, these communities in, in particular, specifically around issues like supporting elders, because there are they do have an age, aging population, uh, addressing food insecurity, uh, education support, so things that they were already difficult, having difficult time in. So yeah, so they've done a lot to, to support at-risk communities. Right, and they've also done one that they've labeled here, the Supporting Preparedness in First Nations and Inuit Communities. Yeah, this that is- one's up to $100 million? Yeah. So, I mean, think about this. I mean, if you're one of these communities out in the middle of that part of my part in the term out in the middle of nowhere and you get even one case, you're already facing limited access to healthcare in the first place. It could devastate a community very, very quickly. So if anything, these very, I mean, frankly, the, the hardest to reach communities in Canada are, are typically indigenous communities. And if we don't throw a bunch of money at the problem, a bunch of bodies, it could get pretty ugly pretty quick. So this was $100 million earmarked to make sure that this does not cause a devastation in these communities. So moving on to um, one that they've categorized, supporting people who need it most, uh, improving access to essential essential food support. Yep. So, and I think I saw something in the news about this the other day. Um, a lot of the community associations that help take care of food insecurity are going to be stretched to the limit right now. So they're providing an extra $100 million for national, regional, and local organizations uh, like the Salvation Army, Second Harvest, uh, Food Banks of Canada, whatever it might be, to, who, who already feed people who are food insecure to basically help help them buy more food because otherwise their inventory is going to run run out pretty quick. Right. And so they, they've also introduced one that they're enhancing the Reaching Home Initiative. What's that one about? Yeah. So we all know the, the concepts of like Meals on Wheels. So this is about providing people food to people who have food insecurity who basically can't leave, right? So we have to be able to get them uh, nourishment. Otherwise, we, they're going to starve in their own house. And that's something we can't have. Now, in addition to that, it's not just them. It's also, there's also accommodations for, for shelters, people who are without a home, right? Uh, you know, these shelters don't exactly have a ton of room for, for social distancing. So we have to address that issue as well. Yeah, I think that's a big one, right? People who um, who use the shelter system, there's, like you said, there's no, there's very little ability to shelter or sorry, socially distance one another. So uh, there's definitely a lot of support needed there. And there's also support for women's shelters and youth 
Can you speak about those? Yeah, and this is one of the ones that are kind of a frightening uh, one is that, well, women's shelters, I mean, we don't want to see people who are in a bad position forced to stay home due to social distancing and the protocols, right? So this is all about making sure that people who, um, again, are in a vulnerable situation, that the organizations that support them are going to be funded to, to deal with this, especially because, frankly, I would think that if you're in a bad situation, being locked up with that person 24-7 in a house, not able to leave, ain't going to make that any better. So, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's very important that uh, we support the, those people when they, need to, when they need to leave. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the things. That's, it's not just Canada, but I, I saw in the United Nations indicated that that's one of their main concerns, too, is about domestic abuse, and et cetera. So it's, it's really good that they're supporting there, too. And what about the mental health uh, support for, for youth, uh, $7.5 million uh, funded there? Yeah, for Kids Help Phone, and, and they've they've been on the news talking about the massive influx they've had as well. And it's just, you know, it's one of those things that wants to break your heart. But and one of the things that came up, which was just, I mean, we're, we're seeing, and unfortunately, the, the, the bad side of humanity comes out in this stuff too. But the number one way child abuse is detected in, in Canada is typically through teachers. And if these kids are out of school for prolonged periods of time in high-stress situations, their potential discovery of that issue just kind of goes away. So. Right. Uh, doing what we can to, you know, what these kids do reach out is, uh, is vitally important. They recognize that. Right. Plus this, this you know, the, the pandemic can be pretty stressful for kids just in general, right? So the fact that they have somewhere to turn to if, uh, if they don't have someone at home to support them, then yeah. I think that's a great initiative. Um, Even my five-year-old, you know, talks about not doing stuff because of the coronavirus, right? So it's, uh, it's having impact on everybody. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. There's no one, no one that's uh, unaffected by this for sure. So we spoke about individuals, and we, we've spoken about uh, Indigenous peoples, etc. And there's there are some supports here for seniors as well. Can the one that I think that most people focus in on is the reduced minimum withdrawals from your RIF, twenty five percent that people can uh, reduce their RIF withdrawals within for two thousand twenty. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So, I mean, anyone who's got a RSP that's converted to a RIF, which has to be done no later than uh, your 71st, uh, the year in which you turn 71, you're now forced to take money out of the RSP, out of the RIF, according to a government schedule. And the concern there was that, well, wait a sec, the market crashed when this happened. So, I mean, now you were asking people to take take money out of their RIFs when they were basically facing 30% down markets. Now, I mean, I think this is more made of this than needs to be. I mean, first of all, we've been lucky enough to have a pretty decent rebound thus far. So the cut is not as deep as it used to be. And then the other piece is that hopefully, and I'm, I can't count on this, but hopefully anyone who is in their senior years was invested more conservatively and not just 100% stock, right? So glad they did it because you can't account for everybody doing the right, the right thing with their portfolio. But the way this works is whatever the government said, you were going to have to take 25% less. And what we've done with this is when we talk to clients, uh, we've talked about their cash positions. And if they don't need cash, then we've just turned off the RIF for now. And uh, those payments will basically yeah, be re- restarted at some point in the near future. Or if you don't do anything, it, they'll make sure the minimum gets paid automatically at the end of the year. So if you need the cash, continue to take it. If you don't need the cash, then you know what? Hold off, take advantage of the, of the 25% reduction. Right. You raise a good point too. Like, like if, if someone was invested, um, let's say inappropriately, but they had more equity in their in their RIF than they should have, and they were down 30% and they are forced to take that withdrawal, it's pretty hard to recoup that that amount back in your RIF once you've made that withdrawal. I mean, the numbers are, they just work against yeah. you. So it means that your RIF would ultimately deplete far faster than the need be, right? Yeah. And here's the plug for, for getting the proper financial advice. The reality is, is that if you're in retirement and you're in a RIF and you have money coming out according to a government schedule, which is around 5% or more that goes up over time, being 100%, and this is a primary source of income, if you are highly exposed to stocks, that is a 
terrible decision. Now that, that said, it might be necessary to try to seek a higher rate of return in order to get to your goals, but you should not be in a position where when the markets were down 30%, you were down 30%. That is not paying attention to risk tolerance. So yeah, so for the large part, hopefully the, the, the market's rebounding have minimized the need for this sort of thing. Right. And so there's a couple other smaller items that they had under uh, support for seniors. Uh, they have a supporting and delivery system through the United Way. What's that one about? Yeah, additional services that seniors need, right? So maybe they weren't set up with Meals on Wheels. Maybe they need medications delivered. These are the people at most risk right now, right? I, I, take, great, I take great comfort in knowing that my grandfather's in a retirement home that's been quarantined since the day he got there, right? And, and knowing that there's been no positive tests. And frankly, these are the people that need to be put that they need to be put as far away from this thing as possible because they're the ones who are, who are suffering not the greatest degree of death. So what this is doing is it's establishing, preventing them from having to leave, from having to, from having to go outside and, and getting them the basic essentials of daily life. And that was something that, you know, you would take for granted, but maybe they would just walk down the street to the pharmacy. That's something that doing that now is taking their lives into their hands. And how does that play into or complement the uh, New Horizons uh, program? That's the other initiative they have for seniors. Yeah, so I'm not a big, I'm not really familiar with the New Horizons program too much. It's apparently a community-based program that helps provide essential services. So I think this is trying to fill in the gaps for things that people hadn't organized already. So it goes back to the essentials of food medication, uh, essential services such as doctor's visits, basically getting volunteers to help them with basic medical care. I think it's just what all it really is, is they're just slapping a name on a program that's that's basically there to meet basic needs of those seniors. And the supporting delivery, the support they've given is largely going in that direction already. Right. And so the last group I think we that we haven't covered yet is uh, students and, and recent graduates. They've also introduced some plans to support uh, students. Can you speak to the loan deferral program and, and so some of the other programs that they've introduced? Yeah. So there's um, there's really only two. So we already talked about the Canada Summer Jobs Program. So that is, again, uh, hire a graduate because it's going to be cheap, if not free. Secondly, it's basically they're allowing a suspension of payments of, of and interest on Canada student loan programs right now. So as we know, September this year or something? Sorry? Until September this year, I think? Uh, yeah, until September 30th. So essentially, they're over this period where, hey, there's no chance if you're a recent graduate or you're a student, you're going to be able to basically find work to pay for this. They're just putting a complete and total freeze on principal and interest right now. And again, because they because they sponsor this program, they can do that, right? Because it's it's they're the lenders. But essentially, it's it's basically it. I mean, they, they've done what they can to hold off uh, students. I mean, if you're a student, you'll qualify for the emergency benefit. So that's giving you some cash in your pocket. You will not have to worry about the overhead of your loan. If you were lucky enough to be a student, a recent graduate and own a home, you can push off your mortgage. But then this Canada Summer Jobs Program is, is also there to help you hopefully find, get a, get a, your feet wet in the industry. So yeah, so that that's a pretty effective, comprehensive coverage of, of all the different benefits that are available. And of course, we just, we kind of just did a top line there. It's important, especially with business owners, to seek proper help in, in the application of these, because I will say this much, the individual benefits are all very easy to get. The corporate ones involve some work. Oh, and the one thing we did not mention is that Check with your province because every province has some sort of benefits program right now that is doing something. It might not be much, might be some of them are actually providing income support. But, you know, for instance, we're in Ontario and we're receiving uh, $200 per child for basically, well, they said childcare, but really it's the, for expenses related to trying to keep your child at home. So probably things like uh, teaching supplies that you need to order on Amazon now because school's not uh, going back in anytime soon. That's right. Yeah, I think we've done a pretty comprehensive overview. But like I said, 
each one of these has got some nuances that each individual is going to want to walk through, probably with their financial advisor. But at the end of the day, uh, there's there's some pretty impressive, uh, I wouldn't say opportunities, but uh, initiatives done here. And like you said, at each uh, each level of the government. Um, so yeah, I'm going to put a plug in here for an initiative I'm involved with uh, a friend of mine, David O'Leary, over at Kind Wealth on his web website, uh, I think KindWealth.ca. He has organized a pro bono initiative of independent financial planners who are basically offering their services for free to people in need right now. It's not exactly, you know, we're not going to sit back and create a full financial plan for you, but we're going to help guide you through this very stressful time. So if you or someone you know could benefit from talking to a professional about what's available to them, how to handle everything from basic cash flow to applying for programs, give it, just reach out. It's free. There's no shame. We're here to help. So as always, I want to thank the guests. Thanks for taking the time to come in over Zoom, like everything else these days. And I wish you nothing but the best. I wish everybody, please stay safe. So as always, this has been Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. And I am Jason Pereira, your host. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever it is you get your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. For more episodes, go to jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.